Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast for Applied Theology, our season, Christ is King, Episode 5, The Coming of the Kingdom. Just a bit of context, we've been walking through the scriptures, focusing on uh, the coming of the Messiah, and so far, we have seen our need for God to give us a king. We've seen the kind of king we do not want. We've also been given many promises about a king that is coming. We know he's coming from a particular line and a, a particular nation of a particular tribe and family. So we know a lot about this coming king. And God has already prepared for it, giving uh, the, the people a law and, a, and the example through uh, David and establishing a covenant and a dynasty for this king to come into. And now we're at the part of the scriptures and the prophets where uh, we're now given some revelation about the king's kingdom, the coming of the king and his kingdom. And this is where we uh, turn our attention to Daniel, probably the most explicit of the prophets uh, in uh, God giving revelation concerning this kingdom. So Pastor Dudley, I'm going to turn it over to you if you will introduce us to uh, uh, this uh, this prophecy of the coming kingdom and, and some of these early visions that were given to, to, to Daniel through uh, Nebuchadnezzar in this instance. Well, it's interesting, we, the first of these visions we have in uh, Daniel chapter 2, and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, uh, a dream that he wants the wise men to explain to him, but they have to first tell him what the dream is, so it's a, an impossible task. Daniel uh, as the man comes to the door to uh, kill him, says, well, give me a little time. And uh, then he goes with his friends. They pray. They seek the Lord. And God gives him not only the dream, but also the interpretation. And the, the dream, I think it's important. It's not just short. We can read it. It's Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. Daniel is speaking to this king, Nebuchadnezzar. You, O king, were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking, until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And of course then Daniel goes and explains this dream to Nebuchadnezzar beginning with Nebuchadnezzar saying you O king are this uh, golden head and then he says after you there will come these other empires all worldly empires and as we study it uh, in retrospect we see that we have the Babylonian empires replaced by the Medes and the Persian Empire and then that's replaced by the Greeks under Alexander the Great and then finally we come to the Roman Empire so there are these four secular kingdoms each one having different characteristics each one having different uh, scopes of power and then they are all destroyed by the stone and so what is this stone that's really the thing we have to because the stone is greater than all of these 
kingdoms together. And Daniel explains that in verse 44. In the days of those kings, these uh, four empires, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. So it's completely reliable. And it's so interesting that in this time period, you know, the Jewish kingdom has disappeared. Yeah. The kings have been there, they've been dethroned. The Jerusalem's walls are broken down. The temple is burned. His people that have been given this great promise, they're in exile. And yet, the God whom they serve, the God who promised them that they would have a king, who promised David that there will be one that I will raise up out of your household and he will have a kingdom that is forever. To the natural mind, it appears that that's an impossibility. And yet God comes and speaks to Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked, foreign, idol-worshiping king, and tells him, this is what's going to happen in the future. And there is a kingdom coming, and that kingdom will not be destroyed. And it's a stone made without hands. Well, what, how can you have a stone cut without hands? Only God makes stones without hands. That's God's work. So God is building this temple, building this kingdom. And of course, this is another thing as we've talked about how God is unfolding progressively piece by piece the picture for us to be able to see it in all of its fullness as we come into the New Testament. And uh, we, I think we're seeing threads of this piece by piece. We, thought, we saw this uh, with the promise of the seed. We've seen this uh, with God's revelation at the beginning in the establishment of Eden. And this is yet one more thing showing the majesty of what it's going to be. And of course, the, the final point of that is that this mountain, this stone falls, comes out of a mountain after it destroys all the kingdoms of this earth. It doesn't just stay there. It grows and grows and grows until it encompasses the entire earth. And that's something that we see in Isaiah. And I know we're going to be talking about that in a little while as well. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, it just struck me that irony, right? God's giving this vision to to the head of the statue, right? The, the man over the first kingdom about one day this kingdom, but all these, others, these other human kingdoms after you are going to be laid low and that this kingdom that's coming, it's not going to have another one come and replace it. This is going to be an everlasting, everlasting. kingdom. God's kingdom, as opposed to the kingdoms of the earth, is everlasting. And there's no need for another kingdom. That's right. All these other worldly kingdoms, I can do it better. Yeah. I can do it better. Where's something for me to conquer? Mm-hmm. Once God's kingdom comes, there's no need for another one. There can't be anything greater. And the yeah. old kingdoms, the thing that was interesting mm-hmm. about it is that they are totally destroyed mm-hmm. and they're blown away like chaff. Yeah. There's no evidence that they were ever there. Yeah. Completely gone. Yeah. And uh, I love especially when, when Jesus is pulling from this text and he describes himself as uh, the temple not cut with human hands, pulling right from this text here. We know that he, the king, ha- has come, and, and we'll get into to all that uh, later. But this chapter in this vision 
is in parallel with chapter 7, Daniel 7, uh, and uh, a similar vision uh, in that the meaning and the interpretation is covering this, the fulfillment of the same reality, but the images are a bit different. Instead of a statue, uh, this is now in Daniel 7, a vision of four different beasts. And oftentimes in Scripture, you have uh, the beast uh, as uh, an, an image described of uh, a human who has become beastly, uh, who's ceasing to be the image of God, man, as God has intended. And so these wicked kingdoms described as four different beasts. And uh, this, this vision here that, that Daniel receives, um, and after these these beasts are being very arrogant. This, this last one uh, that comes up. And verse 9, I'll start reading. After these beasts arise, As I kept watching, thrones were set up in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And this is the divine. This is Yahweh. This is God. He took his seat. And so after these kingdoms come up, then uh, he's taking his seat, and this is where it gets really interesting. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like the whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Now, in, uh, after the great judgment, uh, Revelation describes a river of life flowing. Uh, this is a river of judgment, of fire. Right, like judgment's about to take place. God is sitting on his throne in order to judge these kingdoms. And it says, thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. Uh, the judge is about to, uh, to, to weigh in his court and swing his gavel, right? I, I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. Right? And this is from the last beast. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. And so their dominion is removed. And remember this, the last vision, chapter 2, uh, that whenever you have the coming of the eternal kingdom of God and laying low, uh, the earthly kingdoms, their dominion is removed. However, there is a, a remnant of them, right? They're still after their dominion is removed and given to another. We're going to see who this other is in a minute. Uh, they're still in existence, right? Now, I was continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Whereas you have in Daniel 2, four strata of a statue. Daniel 7, you've got four beasts. Whereas in Daniel 2, you had the coming of this, this uh, mountain, a rock not cut with human hands. Now you have the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite designation of himself. And this is why the dominion of these beasts is taken away, because this universal dominion is given over to Christ. 
And now the way I grew up hearing this text interpreted, I've, I've uh, recently, in uh, the past couple years, have had to come and see it another way. Is that I interpreted this as something that is this coming of the Son of Man, as something that is yet to take place. But uh, the way that the New Testament uses this, and the way here we see in Daniel, uh, this is uh, this is something in reference to Christ's ascension and His enthronement. Mm-hmm. So in Daniel six, you have Daniel in the beasts uh, with the beasts, right in the den. But then he comes out of that that pit, right. And so Christ uh, came and, and dwelt among uh, within the, the period of this fourth kingdom, and he is raised up, ascended out of the domain of the beasts, and he is coming, and which I always kind of, uh, kind of assumed my own perspective, right? The coming of the Son of Man. Well, that must mean he's coming to me. Well, Daniel, his vision, he is transported in a visionary sense in the heavenlies. And so he sees the Son of Man coming to him from his perspective, Daniel's perspective. He's in the heavenlies. And he's coming before the Ancient of Days. And then the Ancient of Days gives, and this is Christ's ascension. He's coming up with the clouds of heaven, which the disciples saw. And he's, is a, uh, he approaches the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days gives him this dominion. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And that's exactly how Christ uses this passage. He ties it with Psalm 110. Um, uh, that that he uh, you'll see the Son of Man coming with the clouds and seated at the right hand. Uh, so he ties this with his ascension. And Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And uh, most of the time I heard that, uh, that preached growing up was that the significance in his session, in his seating, uh, was that he's not standing and worried but that he sits, he's seated, he's calm. But that's not what's communicated by uh, a king being enthroned. What is communicated by a king being enthroned is that he is now exercising his dominion. Not that he's worried versus not worried, but that his session has begun. His rule, which is coming from his throne, uh, is, is being extended now over all. That's the vision. And just like in Daniel 2, it mentioned the vision is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. In Daniel, you get vision, then you get interpretation. Daniel's perplexed and he's worried. And a lot of this is terrifying. I can't imagine seeing in visionary uh, form all of this take place. And so an angel comes to him to supply the interpretation. As trustworthy as Daniel was proven with his interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's vision, now we get an interpreter from Yahweh to come and, and help Daniel understand. And it's very interesting how the angel describes what he's just witnessed. And when he gets to the part of explaining the Son of Man being enthroned, he says three times. doesn't make reference to that. He says the saints will inherit the kingdom. The saints will inherit the kingdom. The saints will inherit the kingdom. The session of the Son is the session of the saints. As Christ reigns, so his saints do. We are seated in the heavenlies in Christ, Paul says. And so it's an incredible text. Again, something that the New Testament uses heavily, which uh, we'll uh, get to in a moment. But uh, Chaz, before we get to the New Testament, uh, why don't you explain uh, for us 
So some of the things that we see paralleled, Dudley made mention, but in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So Isaiah 24, 25, 26, and 27. Uh, is often referred to as Isaiah's mini apocalypse. And that word, us using the word apocalypse for these chapters, I think that's implying that this has to do with the end of the old creation. This is looking forward to the end of the old creation and taking us into the new creation. So if you look at 24, this is talking about God's judgment coming on sinful humanity. You look at verse, I'll start in verse 5. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. Now, I do want to note there, there's some Genesis 3 illusions right there. They've transgressed the laws. They've violated the statutes, broken the covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth. That's taking us back thinking about where did all this sin come from? Adam and Eve transgressing the, the covenant God made with them. And therefore, a curse has devoured the earth. But even more than that, even more than just sin is here now, Verse, pick up with me at verse 21. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven, in heaven, and the kings of the earth, on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded, and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. That is some decreation language. The moon is confounded. The sun is ashamed. What's happening is God is decreating what's been created because sinful humanity has wrecked it. It's brought a curse on the created order. And uh, I mean, you see the first verse of the chapter, behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. Because of humanity's sin, In breaking verse 5, the everlasting covenant, God is going to lay waste the earth. He is bringing his judgment because of sin. So that's bad news. But then verse... You're really cheerful. Yeah, yeah. I'm in a good good mood today. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, I can't tell. (laughs) But then it's beautiful. Verse, or chapter 25, they... The writer just goes into this song of praise. Oh, Lord, verse 1. Oh, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. Goes from judgment to just like jubilant praise. And the rest of the chapter, in chapter 25, he lists off a bunch of reasons. Why is he praising God? Well, verse 2, he's praising God for destroying all the evil on the earth. And that's people. You have made the city a heap. He's not just talking about the city's buildings. It's the people. God has done away with all the evil, right? It will never be rebuilt, verse 2. God, verse 3, has been a stronghold for people, for the poor. Verse 6, and I, I want to camp out here for a second. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, 
of rich food full of marrow of a, of aged wine, well refined. When God has laid waste to the earth, He's not laid waste to His covenant people. Mm-hmm. He has now prepared for His people that He's in relationship with a place where they will have a great feast with Him. It makes us think of when the elders of Israel had a meal with God on the mountain, Ooh, yeah. but then also when Jesus took his disciples up into the upper room, right? Like there's both ways we're seeing this. It's fulfilled in Christ. And we're looking forward to this day when God has laid waste to the old creation and has then made us in the new creation with him um, a great meal. But it's with all peoples too. It's not just, it's not just Israel. It's a meal to share with all peoples. God fellowships with a people from every nation, right? It's the kingdom of God has gone over the whole earth at this point. And then verse eight, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. God has done away with death. It's dead. God has swallowed up death. It's gone. And the writer, he is just praising God for all these great things that God has done. And then in verse, or in chapter 26, you keep moving on. This is a song that will be sung. 25 is a song, I think, but 26 is a song that will be sung on that day. And I think just kind of the main point of this chapter is God is a strong rock, so take refuge in him, right? Verse 13 and 14. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. They are shades. They will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. There's more singing in this song. I just want to look at those those verses right there, though. You have enlarged the borders of the land. Again, we're seeing God's kingdom spreading out over the whole earth. It's almost like the mountain that... And covers the whole yeah, yeah, it's almost like it's almost like the same person was behind the writing of Daniel and Isaiah. You know, the borders of God's kingdom are being enlarged and expanded over the whole earth. And so, last, lastly, here, verse chapter twenty-seven of Isaiah's mini apocalypse, we see the redemption, and I like the ESV's heading: the redemption of Israel. So remember, I said that 24 was picking up some Genesis 3 stuff. Chapter 27, verse 1. In that day, the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, the twisting serpent. And he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. That's what I was, when all this comes about, God's punishment has come on the serpent who messed everything up. Genesis 3.15, 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You don't die from heel wounds. You do die from head wounds. And it's not just his heel. It's his great and strong and hard sword that he's punishing Leviathan with. He's cutting his head off like Daniel cut or David cut Goliath's head off. God's covenant promises. And look at verse 6 as well. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. God's covenant promises to Israel aren't just staying in Israel. They're spreading out, covering the whole thing. Blessing to the nation. This whole terrestrial ball, like that one song says. Do you uh, do you listen to much Matt Chandler? I like Matt Chandler. Do you? You, know, you you're like him a lot. He can't talk without his hands. Yeah. <laughs> and you you your hands were just all That's over. Piper. Piper. Just all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is also on video, so they yeah, can they'll, they'll actually it see it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And there's a lot more that we could bring out uh, from uh, the prophets, uh, especially the, the exilic and uh, prophets and afterwards. And, um, but we want to get to the fulfillment. And so, Tony, we've saved the best for last for you. Mm. Talk about the fulfillment of these things that we've been alluding to. Well, you know, it's interesting. You, you had the opportunity just a few weeks ago to, to preach in um, the close of chapter 3 of John and talk about uh, the overlap between the last prophet and uh, the Messiah, uh, John the Baptist. And of course, John the Baptist's message was to repent for the kingdom is at hand. Yeah. Uh, the kingdom has come. And so that was the message that uh, John was preaching, and that was also then the message that Jesus would take up. Right. And uh, the Bible says that Jesus went from city to city and village to village, and his message was the same message uh, that John the Baptist had proclaimed. But uh, when you think about the nation of Israel at that time, um, it had been many, many years since they had been a sovereign nation, since they had their own king, they were uh, living underneath the rule of, uh, of Rome. Um, and so their understanding of coming Messiah was was askewed a little bit by their circumstances. Um, they were so hungry and longing for uh, a king to come that would uh, deliver them from the hand of Rome. You know, there were the zealots who were always looking to overthrow Rome. There was this uh, anticipation among the populace of what Messiah would look like, what Messiah would be. And, uh, and even among the 12 <clears throat> at times, uh, they're not real sure and clear as to what this kingdom really is all about, um, thinking that perhaps this kingdom is going to be a, a um, political kingdom. It's going to be a, an ethnically uh, exclusive kingdom. It's going to be a Jewish kingdom. It's going to be restoring even, uh, you know, I was looking here in Acts chapter 1, uh, before the ascension, <clears throat> And uh, he's gathered the disciples together at the Mount of Olives. And it says in verse 4, And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You have heard from me, John baptized with water, 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And his response, well, it's not for you to know the times or the epics, but he gives them, again, a restatement of the Great Commission that uh, you will receive, in verse 8, power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and even the uttermost uh, parts of the earth. Uh, so kingdom, the kingdom coming, uh, was something that um, uh, people on the street had one definition and one thought. Mm. Uh, even the disciples struggled yeah. about, you know, is this going to be a restoration of the kingdom to Israel? Is this going to be? I mean, they knew the, the Davidic covenant. They knew that there's coming one who's going to sit upon the throne of uh, his father David, but yet how how does this fit together? And so um, the struggle of um, of this kingdom being a, a spiritual kingdom, being an ethnically diverse kingdom, being a kingdom that would indeed expand yeah. uh, throughout the whole earth. Um, this is something that um, they certainly did not see on their agenda. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're thinking more uh, about uh, their own uh, country and their own nation, their own kingdom, mm -hmm. uh, rather than the kingdom uh, that God has in mind. Uh, you, you talked a moment ago about the Lord is today seated upon his throne in heaven at the right hand of the majesty on high. And one of the things about this king is that he's priest and king. Mm, right you know, what's he doing? He's not just sovereignly ruling, but it says he's making intercession. Mm -hmm. How is this kingdom advancing into uh, PNG and Africa? It's, it's advancing as he is interceding mm -hmm. and the gospel is going forth pouring and out pouring out of his, uh, his gospel and his spirit into the nations and to every people and tribe and tongue. And, um, and so there is a reality that when you talk about him ruling in the sovereign reign, that it is yet to come, but also mm -hmm. a present reality. Yeah. You know, and uh, yes, there there will be a day, as the Bible is very clear, when the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Christ. We recognize today that's not the case. Um, we do not have uh, empires such as the Greeks or the Romans, uh, but we have nations, and God is sovereign over every one of them. He says, when I speak concerning a nation to build it up, it's built up. If I speak concerning a nation to tear it down, I'm old enough to remember the Soviet Union mm -hmm. and the whole world lived under the fear of the Soviet Union and, and what was going to take place. But when God got ready to dismantle it, he dismantled right, it. Right. Yep. You know, the kingdoms of this world one day shall all bow and fall before yep. the stone that was cut out of the mountain, uh, the true temple, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the one as in Philippians 2, who condescended, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and therefore has been highly exalted 
and given a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And so when you talk about the king has come, we recognize it's a spiritual kingdom. It's an ethnically diverse kingdom. It's, it's, It's spreading across the planet, across the whole globe. It is realized, but yet anticipated at the same time, and um, and it does shake the political world mm-hmm. as well because yeah. all of these kings and emperors and kingdoms uh, shall fail, right. mm-hmm. and shall one day, uh, as uh, as the waters cover the sea, mm-hmm. so shall the knowledge of the Lord. Amen. Amen. No, that's all good. All yeah. good. So how how does this <clears throat> impact us? How do we live in light of these realities that we've been discussing? Because this is huge. This is like universal, global language, what we've been talking about. Transfer of dominion has taken place. I I think personally, for me, it's the peace that it gives. Amen. We live today in a world, and our listeners know this, that that they're tuned in, uh, some folks, almost (laughs) 24-7, to current events, to Fox News or CNN or MSN or whatever, and their their anxiety level is rising and falling with whatever's happening in all parts of the world. We live now in a day when something can happen on the other side of the planet, you know, at 2 o'clock, and at 2.02, we know it everywhere yep, in the world. Yep. Um, and that wasn't the case before, but now it is. And to know that no matter what... Um, the, you know, that, that crazy man in North Korea right. or uh, that bully in Russia, no matter what these people do, yep. uh, God is on his throne. Amen. Amen. And he, he is ruling mm-hmm. and he is bringing the plane down to a landing. He's, he's going to, there's going to be the consummation <laughs> yep. of all things take place. Yep. And we get to be a part of that. Amen. The saints, again, uh, reigning with him. Whatever that looks like, however that is, is good news Amen. in light of a chaotic world Amen. where it seems like evil is triumphing. Yep. And it's a matter of our perspective. Yes. What do we give our most right. attention to? Right. Uh, to the news and focusing on right. Right. the extended life that God has given to these yeah. earthly kingdoms, right? Yeah. That would that would terrify you, but you got to keep that. You got to keep going back to the Word of God right. and bringing all that in perspective to these truths that Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. How else? Well, like you had said a second ago, this does shape the poli- the way that we engage with cultural issues at large, but like even political issues. Psalm 82 gives us a really good way to do this. I just want to read a little bit. God has taken, this is verse one, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Now just, I take gods there to mean human rulers. There are those who disagree with that. And if you do, that's okay. I don't think that. I think it's human authorities though. So verse two, Israel prays, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? They're looking at this king who is unjust, and they're saying, how long are you going to do that? Us knowing Christ has decisively on the cross become the king of all the world and the king over every other king. So when we look and we see how long are these kings going to rule unjustly, 
we can say this the way Israel did. Give This is verse 3. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the wicked and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. You unjust rulers don't have the right to, not, to be disobeying God in your God-given role of authority, right? And we understand Christ is king over them, and so we call them, obey him, mm-hmm. right? Kiss the son, <laughs> yeah. lest you perish in the way. Um, because we care about those that they are being unjust to. We mm-hmm. care about the 60 million dead babies yeah. in America, right? That's why we call our rulers to account. And when we don't, there's 60 million babies yeah. um, pay for it. Yeah, yeah. I was reminded of, you know, how I've heard a lot uh, of uh, scholars talk about just the, the nature of that word in, in the Greek, uh, euangelion, gospel, and gospelizing, and sharing the gospel, and that in the ancient world, that it carried with it this connotation of a king has come and someone who is going into a place and announcing before yeah, it's him, herald. It's, a herald it's a herald. And and that is really, in light of what we have seen, as Jesus preached, as the apostles have preached, that's what they're doing. They are going into this place where, they've, where people have been living under uh, other authorities and they're telling them, no, a new king has come. The king has come. And that this king is the one we ought to submit to and ought to bow to. And that all the, the gods that you have been serving, they're cronies, they're phonies, they're pretenders. You've been living as your own god, your posers. own king. Posers. You wanted me to use that. <laughs> yeah, posers. You're a poser. Yeah, Jesus, uh, he's the original G. Yeah, there we go. I'm being uh, really contemporary now. Um, but the gospel uh, is a king announcing message. Yeah. And, and live in that victory. Live in that, that reality that you are reigning with Christ and you get to proclaim his, his reign. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. We see that mountain in our individual lives as well. That's what we want to see. Amen. Is that more of Christ, less of me. Yeah. And so that, that mountain becomes greater and greater in our, indiv- in our hearts and in our lives and actions as well. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's been a good chat, gentlemen, and our listeners, viewers. Thank you all for tuning in. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you.